0: Or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So, if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, use my link right now: expressvpn.com/ringslore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com/ringslore. expressvpn.com/ringslore to learn more. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. Let's paint another scene for you. You are one of the Edain, one of these... Houses of men who have stood nobly against Morgoth and with the elves, your allies. And like so many other passages, chapters in the Silmarillion as a whole, the details here are sparse. We're not given. The situation where this information I'm about to share with you was revealed to them, or their specific reactions, or who got on the boats first. But we do know that it did happen. And I want you to picture this. You are not an elf. You have not come across the sea. You have not been to Valinor. But you know... What the sea is like because you've spoken with the elves. You know what might lay across the western sea. Where they came from. And so you and your family and your friends get on a boat. For the first time in your, well, in the history of everybody. All of the other humans that you know. And I don't just mean any sort of boat. I'm sure people have probably been on fishing boats and and doing things like that on lakes and maybe even along the coasts. This is the first time that you and your people have gotten on boats meant for traveling, for transporting large groups of people across the ocean. And in today's world, when we think about this, we think about gigantic ships traveling across say, the Atlantic from Europe to the US, or going on a cruise and, of course, the absolutely colossal-sized ships there. But in this situation, they're not traveling by coal-powered ships, steamboat engines, or current modern-day technology like the two other examples I gave you. These would be sailboats. Well, sail ships, I guess you could say. I had the opportunity a few years back when I visited London to see a life-sized replica of Sir Francis Drake's ship. I believe that's called the Endeavour. I might be wrong about that. And it was much smaller than it seemed like it should be based on just images I pictured in my mind. You could probably fit the whole length of the ship across my property if the house wasn't on the property. It's not, it's not that big, I don't have a big property. And so my point is that these land-loving, living people, for the first time in their lives, boarded ships to cross the ocean. And they crossed a wide ocean. They didn't head to Valinor, because there was a new land they were headed towards. And we're given a name for it. And it's not the name that you would expect, because, as is in the title of this episode, and as we normally say, we call it Numenor. Because that's what people ended up calling it later on. But originally, this was called Andor. The Land of Gift. And it was closer to Valinor than it was to the rest of Middle-Earth. So it must have felt like quite the long trip and even though this would have started out kind of scary people probably would have been a little bit nervous as that bell in the background ringed to signal that the ships were leaving the port the Valar made the trip very easy for them all of this was a present to the people who stood by them in the darkest of times with hope for what they could become in the future. I feel like I need a sound effect, especially... Parts of the show like this where we go from like my intro little monologue thing or whatever we want to call that to uh, a place where I, I read the text like a to the text, like some old guy yelling at his students. Um, so <laughs> I just I, I'm not the old guy and you're not the students that just occurred to me that that sounded like an analogy. Uh, no, it was just a picture in my head of like, I don't know, Gandalf trying to teach somebody something from. I don't. Anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get into this part of the story, because we finally get a glimpse of Numenor and what's going on here. And we have to start right here where it talks about traveling, because it says then the Adain set sail upon the deep waters, following the star and the Valar laid a peace upon the sea for many days and set sunlight and, and a sailing wind, they, they set everything up. And this was obviously a coordination between multiple Valar, Ulmo, managing the seas, but Manway giving them a wind in the right direction in order to make sure that their travels went smoothly. So that the waters glittered before their eyes, of, before the eyes of the Adain, like rippling glass and the foam flew like snow before the stems of their ships. So it was an easy travel I mean, they were still on boats, but this is probably the safest travel across an ocean that you could ever possibly have. (laughs) It goes on and says, but so bright was Rothenzil that even at morning men could see it glimmering in the west and in the cloudless night it shone alone. Now we have to remember Rothenzil is the name for Arendil's ship. The Vinglet would was the original name that we we learned. That was this is the the word that the Edain used, and this is guiding them. They've noticed this star in the sky, and it is up there guiding them across the ocean. What does that remind you of? Well, if obviously if you come from some Western culture and you probably grew up in something that was Christianized, then you've got the star of Bethlehem, right? That's, a, that's an example for that. But that's not the only example of stars guiding people or signs from above meaning something. And we know the meaning of this. We know the background for why it's up there and what's going on. But in this situation, if we disconnect everything that we know from that and we just see it as a sign to these people that something momentous is happening then that's enough. It's enough to know that they are being guided by the very gods themselves to a promised land. And it feels very religious when you put it in those kinds of contexts. Now, the last part of that sentence is particularly interesting because it says, in the cloudless night, it's shone alone. And then it says, for no other star could stand beside it. The brightness of the Silmaril being this close to people was so much brighter than the stars so far away. The text goes on, it says, And setting their course towards it, the Edain came at last over leagues of sea and saw afar the land that was prepared for them, Andor, the land of gift, shimmering in a golden haze. Then they went up out of the sea and found a country fair and fruitful, and they were glad. And they called that land Elena, which is Star Wars, and also Anadun, which is Westerness, Numenor in the High Eldarin tongue. So, in very typical Tolkien fashion, we get lots of different words that mean lots of different things and multiple names for things. Uh, but that makes sense. Each of these is describing something slightly different. And as a whole, we get Numenor, which becomes the name that we are more familiar with. Now, that the whole naming thing doesn't stop here. It goes on. It says, this was the beginning of that people that in the gray elven speech are called the Dúnedain. Now, we have another word, the Dúnedain. Now, you probably recognize that because this is a word directly from the Lord of the Rings. This is a word that is... Repeated multiple times. And we learn that that word is from the gray elven speech. It is not from Quenya because those elves all left. And it also isn't of the language of the Edain either. This is something that the gray elves called these people. The Numenorians, kings among men. We're given a definition there that Ed- Dunedain means Numenorians, kings among men. But they did not thus escape from the doom of death that Iluvatar had set upon all mankind, and they were still mortal, though their years were long and they knew no sickness ere the shadow fell upon them. Here we're given a glimpse at to what we're going to learn more about in a second. This idea that mankind has always wanted and longed for the long lives Of the elves that death although it is a gift doesn't always feel like it and having a short life and suffering disease and other terrible things doesn't always feel like a gift it's something that feels like it should be avoided now it's not within the I guess the uh, authority of the Valar to completely remove that in fact they don't even have the power to do so that only lies with Iluvatar But they can extend these people's lives as a gift, give them a greater chance to make a difference in the world, educate them, keep them safe. And so that's what they do here. So we end up with people who live for centuries. And in that time, they're able to grow in wisdom and do many great things. It says here, therefore, they grew wise and glorious and in all things more like To the firstborn than any other of the kindreds of men, these men and women, I mean, men is used for the race in general, are more like elves than anybody else who had come before them. And not just in their long lives, but in their wisdom and in their things that they created. And it goes on. And this is another one of those interesting points. This is this echoes all over the place. And they were tall, taller than the tallest of the sons of Middle Earth. And the light of their eyes was like the bright stars, but their numbers increased only slowly in the land. And though daughters and sons were born to them fairer than their fathers, yet their children were few. Who does this sound like? The elves. In many different ways, this sounds like the elves being tall, being uh, long living, but then also not having children very often and those bloodlines being kind of limited. And it makes sense, too. You're you're taking a bunch of people and putting them on an island and saying, okay, here's your home, safe away from anything else going on over there in Middle Earth. If they were multiplying quickly, they would overwhelm the island fairly fast. So let's talk about the island a little bit. It says here, Of old, the chief city and haven of Numenor was in the midst of the western coasts, Remember, Western is still important. It points towards Valinor. And it was called Andunai because it faced the sunset. Andunai, it doesn't say here in the text, but that actually means sunset. The city was named Sunset. Beautiful name for a city. But in the midst of the land was a mountain tall and steep, and it was named the Meneltarma, the pillar of heaven. And upon it was a high place. That was hollowed to Eru Iluvatar, and it was open and unroofed, and no other temple or fane was there in the land of the Numenorians. Now, how many of you, when I said pillar of heaven, uh, thought like I did upon reading this again for the first time in a long time? That oh, that's strange. Pillar of heaven. There's no. There's not really a heaven. Valinor is the closest thing to a heaven. Pillar of heaven. How does that even make sense? But I feel like this sentence is answered in the rest of the sentence or this question is answered in the rest of the sentence because it says here that it was hallowed to eru Iluvatar. so instead of pointing west a mountain points up and up to the actual heavens to beyond the boundaries of this world not along the boundaries of the world to another place in the world still and so this became what i believe is probably the only temple at all ever erected to eru uluvatar and notice although they were helped by the valar they don't have temples to the valar they worship uluvatar himself and they're some of the only people that do that and this is the only temple that they do that in this is not something that gets replicated across every city and then cities in the east as they as in the future of course they resettle Middle Earth, because we know that the Gondorians came from the Numenorians, and all of that. But this is it. This is the one singular temple to the God of everything who grants them the gift of mortality. And this becomes a holy place. It says, at the feet of the mountain were built the tombs of the kings. And obviously, when they just get there, that doesn't happen. But over time, this is where they end up putting the tombs of the kings. And hard by upon a hill was Armenelos, fairest of cities. And there stood the tower and the citadel that was raised by Elros, son of Erendil, whom the Valar appointed to be the first king of the Dunedain. That bloodline becomes so important in two different directions. And this is where the split happens. Elrond chooses the elven path because that is his right. That is the gift that was given to him by the Valar to choose which side of his lineage he leans towards. And so we see Elrond later on. He does great things in the second and third ages. But what about Elros? Elros chooses man, mankind and becomes the first king of the Dúnedain. More on that after we go thank our patrons. We'll be right back. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're finally getting to explore Numenor. So I'm very excited about that. And if if I've been helping you, if you've been enjoying this and you've been getting through all the different episodes and helping you with your commutes and your time at work and anything else that you've got going on, then please check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash L O T R Lorecast. lots of awesome stuff over there. And we've got a bunch of new patrons to welcome. Let's go through the list. We have Warren N, Olorin D. Olorin, oh, we got a secret Gandalf among us. And then we have, let's see, Daryl F, Vanessa S, and Tour Son of Hoor 97, who I think probably uh, undid the pledge and then redid the pledge because... You were here before, right? Unless that's a different number at the end. And that's actually a really sneaky way to get called out every time, every month, if you want to just, like, cancel and then re- <laughs> re-up. <laughs> Play in the system. I, I like it. Um, but thank you for, for signing up, and I'm so glad that you are here. I hope you are enjoying the different benefits you get, like ad-free episodes and lots of bonus content. So go check that stuff out. Also, we have to shout out our VIP patrons. Here we go. Anakin S. Austin C, Azel Razzle, Bo, Brad S, Brandy D, Chewbacca, David S, David M, Drupal, Esoteric Rage, Fulcrum, Gavin Olaf, Goldberry, Jesse P, Katie S, Capenna, Larry, Michael E, Nick K, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Rivqua, Sam B, TJT, Tour Son of Hoor, Tyler M, Wes P, and Who Let the Juan Out. Thank you to all of you. And we've got some uh, new uh, reviews that just, just popped up today. I mean, they were posted a few days ago, but. My little aggregator program usually takes a few days to update. Here we go. Let's jump into this. This one is from No Thanks, I Rather Not from the United States. He writes, binge worthy. Over the past month, I put this podcast on every chance I got in the car, on a lunch break, on long runs. It's amazing. Explaining in detail without being condescending. I read the Silmarillion years and years ago now, but many of the details I had forgotten or just plain didn't get without the expert analysis. I listen exclusively on Spotify, but came here to write this review. Thanks for your dedication to the text as well as the ambiance at the beginning. Thank you for taking the time to jump over to different platforms to, to, to leave a review. That is amazing. I wish Spotify allowed actual formal reviews, but they don't. That means a lot to me, so thank you. All right, Crowder54 in the U.S. writes, Oh, great, listen, while stuck at work four weeks at a time, 12 hours a day, and wanting to dive more into the Lord of the Rings world, I never had the motivation for the books, and this was the first podcast I clicked, and I'm glad I did. Love the creation of environments from the reader and his knowledge and the world and making it easy to understand and enjoy. Might even pick up the books to read to my son. Five stars and would recommend to any LOTR fans. That's awesome, absolutely. Absolutely, pick up the books and read them with your, your son that's uh, that is a tradition of fathers and sons across the world and I hope you are able to enjoy that with him uh, thank you Crowder and thank you uh, no thanks I'd rather not <laughs> if you would like to help me out please leave a review on Apple podcasts I will read out five star reviews in the future you can also rate the show on Spotify you can tell your friends and family all of that stuff helps keep this show going so thank you to all of you for that support alright let's move on with the rest of the show So let's talk about Elrond and Elros. Let's go to the text. Elrond and Elros, his brother, were descended of the three houses of the Dain, but in part also both of the Eldar and the Maiar. We've gone over this, right? Like this is just a reminder of their lineage. And it explains the whole lineage for like Luthien and Melian and how all, everybody's connected. And then it says the Valar indeed may not withdraw the gift of death. They don't have the ability to do that which comes to men from Iluvatar, but in the matter of the half-elven Iluvatar gave to them the judgment. So this is very clearly spelling this out. We've talked in and around this before, but again, it's wonderful when Tolkien goes back over a topic that we feel like we know a lot about because there's always a little snippet of extra information that kind of enlightens us a little bit more to it. So Iluvatar gives the Valar the ability to bestow the choice upon the children of Erendil. And it says here, and they judged that to the sons of Erendil should be given choice of their own destiny. And Elrond chose to remain with the firstborn, the elves and to him, the life of the firstborn was granted, but to Elros, who chose to be a king of men still a great span of years was allotted many times that of men of middle earth and all his line the kings and lords of the royal house had long life even according to the measure of the Numenoreans so even among these people who were granted long lives in general the king and his line that came from Elros was granted an even longer life and We see hints of that still in the Lord of the Rings with Aragorn and how old Aragorn is during the events of Lord of the Rings. And then in the appendices, we learn about how he lives even longer than that and how that was a surprise to a lot of people. But yet they went, oh, you are one of the Dunedain. You're from that line. Oh, okay. And so if they knew of that, they knew it was a possibility. It just was very rare. But Elros lived 500 years and ruled the Numenorians 400 years and 10. So he lives a long time. And if you look at the line of kings in Numenor, if you look at one of those charts, it turns out that there's actually a lot of them. There's many generations between Elros and, say, Aragorn. But if they all live very long lives, then shouldn't that list be relatively small? Well, Turns out that the second and third ages are very long. (laughs) They're thousands of years. And so you can fit lots of long living people in those uh, two ages of the world, even though the first age was relatively short by comparison. So the next part of this section goes into very specifically conveying how these people were different from the rest of the people in Middle Earth. We're told that... While Middle-earth went backwards and light and wisdom faded, the Dunedain dwelt under the protection of the Valar in the friendship of the Eldar, and they increased in stature both of mind and body. This informs us of two things. Not only what's going on with the Numenorians, but also that Middle-earth is kind of left to its own devices, and the people there do not progress. In fact, they regress. Because without these noble houses there to guide them and the education of the elves from the, from Valinor sharing with them the light and the knowledge that they, they brought with them, they're kind of lost to themselves. And as we were told before, many of the peoples that are left in Middle-earth were the ones that were under Morgoth's control. They were still in that darkness. It was still a part of their cultures and who they were. So there was a lot of just not great stuff going on over there, but we're given a little bit more insight into what it was like to be a Numenorian. It says, for though his people used still their own speech, their kings and lords knew and spoke also the elven tongue, which they had learned in the days of their alliance. And thus they held conversation still with the Eldar, whether of Aresia, or of the Westlands of Middle-earth. And the lore masters among them learned also the high Eldarin tongue of the blessed realm in which much story and song was preserved from the beginning of the world. And they made letters and scrolls and books and wrote in them many things of wisdom and wonder in the high tide of their realm of which all is now forgot. So we're given a few different things here. They were still talking and connecting with the elves They were traveling the seas. They were going and visiting with them and and getting visited by them over in Middle-earth or also from Valinor. And they were writing down all of this wisdom and knowledge and all the information that they could and they collected it. But now it is forgotten. Tolkien does that thing where he kind of spoils the future of the story. Because it's written in a way where this person who's writing this down knows the end of the story. And they're answering the question of, like, well, why isn't that still there in the text itself? It gets forgotten. So it came to pass that beside their own names, all the lords of Numenorians had also Eldarin names and the like with the cities and fair places that they founded in Numenor and on the shores of the Hitherlands. Now, we're also told here that they become very, very mighty in their ability to craft things. And although they would have been able to forge even better weapons and and things for war, they had become men of peace. And so they put those things aside, at least for a while. They also became amazing shipbuilders, because when you live on an island, you need to know how to manage the sea. And so we're told here they became mariners whose like shall never be again since the world was diminished. And so they became great sailors. They managed the oceans better than anybody else ever had. And that includes the Teleri, which is particularly interesting. So what about Valinor? They're able to sail the oceans. Could they send somebody else over there? We're told that they didn't. It says, But the lords of Valinor forbade them to sail so far westward that the coasts of Valinor could no longer be seen. And for long the Dunedain were content, though they did not fully understand the purpose of this ban. But the design of Manway was that the Numenorians should not be tempted to seek for the blessed realm, nor desire to overpass the limits set to their bliss, becoming enamored of the immortality of the Valar and the Eldar and the lands where all things endure. We're getting back to that theme, the one I mentioned in the beginning, the idea that death may not actually be a gift, and that living forever seemed like a really, really great thing. And as we wrap up the episode here, I want you to put yourself in the mindset of these people, because I think this is another one of those extremely human things that tolkien is elucidating for us he's lighting up this concept this idea that when we are given things when we are fruitful when we are blessed when our lives are bountiful when we are given more human nature is to still want more even when we are completely content, when we are, or at least should be content, when we are happy, when we have family and long lives and health and a, a society that works well together, a place where everybody is safe and educated and employed, <laughs> when we have all of these things, human nature is still to look for more. There's always that feeling when you look over the fence at your neighbor's yard, maybe the grass is greener over there. And for the Numenorians, their neighbors were either suffering in Middle-earth, so that didn't seem like a good idea. Or they were the elves that they were looking to, or the Valar that they remembered from their interactions with them. And those groups always seem to have more than them, at least In the expanse of their lifetimes, which also led to wisdom and productivity and all of these other things. Because when you are eternal, you can keep learning, you can keep making. And that feeling didn't go away for them and eventually leads to their downfall. And we're going to get into that in the episodes coming up. So glad that you're here. Have a wonderful week. and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts: The Elder Scrolls Lorecast, The Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio, or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes, or just search Robots Radio Discord, or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time.